Engaging presentations on the most urgent problem of our day and what you can do about it. Now, the End Abortion Podcast by Priests for Life. I'm Janet Morana, Executive Director of Priests for Life. Welcome to our program here, Just Ask Janet. Well, April here is Abortion Recovery Awareness Month. Uh, both Priests for Life, Silent No More, Rachel's Vineyard, and a whole host of abortion recovery programs are trying to raise awareness about the need for so many people who are hurting from their abortion to find hope and healing. So today on the program, I'm very privileged to show you a uh, clip of the co-founder of Silent No More. My partner, so to speak, uh, co-founded Silent No More, Georgette Forney of Anglicans for Life. All the way back, we developed the idea of Silent, the Silent No More Awareness campaign back in 2002. She was a woman <clears throat> who had an abortion herself, and I knew her from the pro-life movement. She was president of Anglicans for Life. We got together and we basically came up with the idea of giving a platform initially to women to speak about their abortion experience after finding healing. So recently, Georgia came to Priest for Life and uh, we had some working on some new ideas for the campaign. And I asked her, I said, you know, Georgia, it's been a long time since we've actually sat you in front of the camera and you got to tell us your story in your own words uh, no special timing, just tell it to us. So let's listen right now to Georgette Forney's uh, story about her abortion experience. Hello, everyone. My name is Georgette Forney, and I'm the co-founder of the Silent No More Awareness Campaign and president of Anglicans for Life, which is one of the two organizations that co-sponsor the Silent No More Awareness Campaign. I'm here today to tell you about the campaign via my testimony and a little bit about how it ultimately, my story helped launch the campaign. So when we ask women and men and folks to share their story, we always ask them to answer basically five questions. And as I do my testimony, that's exactly what I'm going to use as my own outline, my prompts for how I talk to you about my story. So my story starts, um, no, I'm not going to give you what I was born and all of that. It is tempting, but actually my story started when I was 16 years old and I lived in Detroit, Michigan with my parents. I'm the youngest of four children and I was known in the family as the good girl. Um, and um, so when I found out I was pregnant, um, that did not reflect well for the good girl. And unfortunately, my my desire to be a people pleaser and my concern about what people thought of me was more important than the baby. The baby for me was a little bit of a threat to my future. And so when a friend of mine told me, I told her I was pregnant, my best friend, she was the only person that knew, she said, you can have an abortion. So I scheduled the appointment early October, 1976. And I drove myself down to the clinic. 
I remember driving in the car and thinking, this feels wrong, but it's legal, so it must be okay. I kept thinking this wasn't right. Like it was like my moral compass was trying to stop me. But I went through with the, I got to the clinic, went through with the procedure. I was very nervous. It was the first time as a 16 year old girl that my legs had been in stirrups. It was not something I was prepared for. I remember it being very painful. And as I was um, lying on the, the gurney, if you will, the, the nurse walked by and she had a stainless steel container in her hand. And I looked at her and I looked at the container and I said, is that my baby? Those words, were I, they're, they're embedded in my mind. And she patted my shoulder and she said, everything will be okay. And I remember hot tears just streaming down my face. Took a little while to recover. They sent me on my way. And what I did was I went to my sister who lived um, uh, in Windsor, Ontario. Detroit's right across from Windsor. And I spent the night there. And I remember getting to my sister's house and just weeping and wanting to go straight to bed. And I went to bed and, and I curled up in the fetal position and I cried myself to sleep. Now, the tears were weird because I kept thinking, why am I crying? My problem is gone. And I was relieved. I was extremely relieved. But yet I couldn't stop crying. I now understand that for me, when something is traumatic, I tend to cry. So now I understand those tears better, but I didn't at a six, as a 16-year-old. I woke up on Sunday morning. Uh, the procedure was on a Saturday. I woke up Sunday morning and all I could think was, I've got to get my act together and get back home. Um, my mom did not know anything about me being pregnant. My parents were kept in the dark by me. There were no parental consent laws at the time, so I didn't have to think about that. So I remember getting dressed and, and crying and thinking, I've got to get it together. And all I could think was, yesterday was just a bad dream. It didn't really happen. It was just a dream. Put on my clothes and I entered denial. And basically for 19 years, I lived in denial about my abortion experience. I wouldn't allow myself to think about it. Now, fast forward a little bit. I meet a great guy. I want to get married. I, um, I'm 19 years old. And I kept thinking as a, as a young woman getting older, I want to find somebody to marry that doesn't want children because I can't have children now. I thought when I had the abortion, I had basically aborted my ability to have children. So I'm happy to say that while I chose my dear husband, Jim Forney, for all the wrong reasons, we are about to celebrate our 41st anniversary. So God's grace has, has blessed us. But I obviously made a decision to marry a man for the wrong reason, thinking he didn't want any children. He already had children. The irony on both of us was that I we became uh, Christians. Um, I was about 22 years old um, when we became a Christian. Uh, he, he, was, he also um, accepted Jesus as his savior. And um, I remember being in the shower 
And uh, when I was dedicating my life to the Lord, you know, the showers washing my sins away. And as I'm going through the, you know, inventory list of things I could think of that I needed forgiveness. When I got to my abortion, I said, that one I know is unforgivable. So even as I began my faith walk, my, my belief was that there were certain sins that really were not covered by the cross, if you will. And so we're, you know, we're growing in our faith. We're, we're um, becoming members of the church. We're getting involved and everybody around us has children. And by 28 years old, my biological clock went off and I desperately wanted to have a baby. Um, fortunately, Jim Forney was very gracious in um, accepting my pregnancy and, and, and the fact that we were pregnant. And, um, but once I became pregnant, I was very concerned that I would, that something would happen to the baby, that God would punish me for my abortion through the baby. Well, Becca came out precious 10 fingers, 10 toes, all just right. And then I became obsessed with the fact that something might happen to her now that she was born. So I became a helicopter mom on steroids. I was over the top about it. I made her clothes. I made her bed linens. I made everything that I could so I could kind of encapsulate her. I could um, protect her. I could create a womb, if you will. Um, I didn't understand why I was doing this, why I was driving myself to be the perfect mother, the perfect wife, the perfect Christian woman. I was very driven and I kept trying to do it all right and be the perfect person, the people pleaser. When Becca went to kindergarten, I got really sick physically um, and had um, been diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. And the doctor said to me, this would be a chronic problem unless I got to the source of the stress. And I started praying Psalm 139, show me my anxious thoughts, O Lord. Psalm 139, verse one, not at all conscious of the rest of the Psalm. And as I prayed, I had an incident where I was cleaning some things out in my basement. And, um, I came across my yearbook from my junior year in high school when I had the abortion. And as I held the book in my hand thinking I was gonna go down memory lane, I opened the book and I don't know what exactly happened, but instead of the book being in my arms, I felt a baby. I still feel her. Her bum is here. I'm holding her with the shoulders here. There she is. She's a she. I have no idea how to cope with this. I'm flabbergasted about this experience and I can still feel her now. I don't know why God did that or how or what, what's up with that one. We can't explain it, but it broke me finally. I had um, a friend of mine had said something about a, a class she was taking because she had had an abortion in college. So the only thing I thought to do in that moment is I'm now like crying crazily in my basement is to call Dana. Well, I called Dana and she was at my house in less than five minutes because I was just a weeping mess on the phone. But I kept just saying my babe, my aborted baby. And so Dana came over and she just sat and wept with me. She gave me permission to cry for my child. 
And the thing that I discovered as I thought about all of this is that I realized that I could in my head acknowledge that I had an abortion, but I never allowed myself to think about what I aborted, who I aborted. And now I was aware that I didn't just have an abortion. I took the life of my baby, this gift from God. Now I was a mother, so I understood the blessing of motherhood where I, before I had thrown it away. And in that grieving time, and, and that per, Dana giving me permission to grieve, it was, it, it was an incredible feeling. I remember saying to her, but I made the choice. Now I should just live with this penalty, this pain. It's my punishment. And Dana reminded me that the cross did cover even the sin of abortion. Well, Dana, um, as we talk about the, um, the uh, testimony, I've talked about why I had my abortion, how it felt during the procedure, how I felt immediately afterwards, and, and what were the long-term consequences, like the people-pleasing, like the striving to be the perfect wife. But the best part about our testimonies is talking about the fifth point, the healing. Dana introduced me to a, a healing program, an abortion recovery program. It, the one I attended is called Forgiven and Set Free. Now there are almost, I think there's 29 or 31 programs out there right now. And they're all Christian based and they all walk you through a lot of the emotions. And for me, I really struggled with the forgiveness because I felt like those were my decisions. And, and a lot of women that I've talked with and heard their testimony, they didn't feel they had a choice. So what's great about these programs, these healing programs, is that it, it's not a one size fits all, but it allows us to explore and think about all of the emotions. And probably the one that was most impactful for me was the ability to grieve, being given permission to grieve for my child. I had to be given permission to do that because I, would, I couldn't give it to myself. And in that grieving, the humanity of that little baby, Elizabeth, she became real. So that is my story of how my healing helped me grieve, helped me honor my child. And so, um, I, I was going through healing. I was learning to live in and process and, and understand um, how my behaviors connected to an event that had happened 19 years prior when I was 16. All that healing helped me to um, grow, grow closer to the Lord because I understood his unconditional love, that there isn't a sin that we can commit, that when we repent and turn to him, is not forgiven from the power of the cross. So a healed Georgette um, was invited to share my testimony um, at our church. And I didn't think that was a really good idea, but I, I said yes to the Lord. 
And that led to me being invited to apply for the position I've now, I've now served in for 24 years as the president of Anglicans for Life. And when I started working for um, Anglicans for Life, I remember thinking, there's no way I can do this for more than two years. I mean, when people in the pro-life community find out I've had an abortion, they're not going to want to work with me. Well, what I discovered is the people in the pro-life community are wonderful, giving, non-judgmental people. And they welcomed me. And the more I shared my story, the more people would give me hugs and whisper in my ear, me too. So a couple of years of, of serving in, as the president of AFL, I was going to the March for Life every year. And um, one year, a friend of mine said, you know, you need to carry a special sign. And I said, that's right, I do. I, I, I want to create a sign. And so I prayed for a long time about what my sign should say. And I came to the conclusion it needed to say, I regret choosing to abort my baby. So I made the sign, two-sided, and I carried it. And um, I was shocked by how many people at the march came up to me. Same kind of thing as whispering in my ear. Wish you had another one of those signs. Boy, are you courageous for carrying that sign. I'm hurting too. And I, as I did that walk, I, I, I finished the walk at the end of, of the day and I went and I stood at the Supreme Court building because I knew that after all the marchers left that the pro-aborts would go up and, and they would do their candlelight vigil. And I wanted to see how they felt about a woman who now regretted the choice. And I was really shocked by the attitude of them. There was one woman that looked at me and she said, I'm sorry you feel that way. But the rest of them, 99% of them, were very, you know, dismissive. These were women dismissing another woman. Well, what happens when <laughs> you disappoint a fellow female? I walked back to my hotel. I was in tears and I was angry because I thought they carry this sign that says the National Organization of Women. Don't they care about all women? Obviously, from the way they just treated me, they don't. And I started thinking, how do we help women like me know that there's somebody that actually cares for them in their pain now? So that's when I went to Father Frank and Janet, um, and we started talking. And we started discussing this need to raise awareness. We had breast cancer awareness. We had AIDS awareness. It was time for abortion awareness. And that is why we started the Silent No More Awareness Campaign, because we recognized that women's voices were the missing, the, the missing voice, the missing testimony amongst all the rhetoric. The pro-aborts say this, the pro-lifers say that, but nobody was listening to the women themselves who had the personal experience. So Silent No More was started in 2002 so that the voices of the women could finally be heard. That the, the understanding that this, this, the rhetoric that this abortion right is designed because women need it 
we need to dismantle that lie because abortion is not good for women. It is not empowering. It basically is the opposite message where it says you can't handle life and a baby. Well, I'm 62 years old now, and I can tell you women are strong. Women are capable. We're courageous. And when you tell us we can't do something, I can guarantee you we will. So the Silent No More Awareness campaign started out to help women find their voice. About a year in, men started contacting us and saying, what about us? We invited the men to come in and share their regret over their lost fatherhood. And then in 2015, we recognized that not only did abortion impact the woman, take the life of our baby, hurt the father, but the entire family was impacted. Our daughter, Rebecca, was impacted by the abortion I had. When she learned about it when she was eight years old, it impacted how she looked at me, but also how she learned about abortion and how she believes now life is sacred. And, and I think that it's, it, it, it was very hard to tell an eight-year-old what abortion is, and even worse to recognize that her mother had done that. But as I saw the impact abortion had on my family, having to tell my parents when I went through healing, um, I finally told them. And, and the sadness and the grief they felt over the loss of their grandchild. It made me and made Father Frank and Janet and I, we all realized that Abortion, while the epicenter of the experience is the baby and the mother, it ripples out, shockwaves, if you will, out to family members, friends that were involved. I had one lady that every August she would send me a donation for $30. And one time I was talking with her and I said, why, about, why this amount? Why August? And she said, when I was in college, my roommate asked me for $30 to help pay for an abortion. She said, I've never forgotten that $30. It was the worst $30 of my life. And she said, and now I, it, I'm still haunted by it. Folks, abortion is not, is not good. <laughs> it seems such a simple statement. But what we learned and what we know about the pain that thousands and thousands and thousands of women, men, family members have gone through because of abortion, we really, for the sake of the people, for the sake of the babies, it is time to make abortion unthinkable. And until that happens, I will be silent no more. Well, I hope you enjoyed that testimony of Georgette. You got to see how the campaign got started. But, you know, maybe right now you're saying, wait, I've had abortion. I've gone through healing. How can I get involved with the Silent No More Awareness campaign? Very simply. Go to silentnomore.com. That's our website. And there's several opportunities there. You, if you, Let's say you don't want to write your testimony for the website. Let's say you don't want to do all that. You just want to register your regret anonymously anonymously. You can do that. You can just click off. I regret my abortion or I regret lost fatherhood anonymous. And you'll be counted among the voices that are speaking out. But suppose you want to join the campaign. 
Well, then you can click and you can begin giving your testimony there. And what Georgette told you is how we have the prompts there. We do. The questions are there to help you get through your story. So the first question will ask you, what were the circumstances that you chose abortion? And you'll write about that. And you'll click off some different things about how old you were, uh, how far along in your pregnancy you were. Uh, did you go to the abortion clinic alone or did someone take you? Who was it? The boyfriend, the husband, a parent? Um, <clears throat> it asks you how you were treated at the clinic. Because um, some of the stories are not so nice about how you were treated at the clinic. We know that. And then you're asked, how, how did you feel during the procedure? Um, you know, Georgia didn't go into too many details, but if you go to abortiontestimony.com, you can read some of the other testimonies that are already up on our website, and you will see that some of the women talk about uh, the fact that the they didn't even meet the doctor till they were already on the procedure table. Uh, they didn't even know the doctor's name. He never spoke to them. Or if he did speak to them, sometimes it was in a very gruff, rude manner. Uh, some of them talk about in their testimony how they changed their mind and wanted to get up and how the uh, the assistant to the doctor held held her them down and told them, oh, it's too late, and basically forced them to go ahead with the procedure. Uh, some of them talk about um, the, how much pain they were in during the procedure. Uh, some of them also talk about how they saw the remains of their baby uh, going into a, a collection jar uh, as, as it was coming out of them. Uh, the stories are horrible and sad. And then from there, they, the women talk about how do they feel immediately following that abortion? Like Georgette said, sometimes they feel that immediate relief, but then they begin to realize what, what they did, what happened, uh, and they share that. And so many of them will share how their life spun out of control. So many of them abused drugs and alcohol just to numb the pain they were in. Many of them became even more promiscuous, um, you know, just suicidal uh, thoughts even, uh, difficulty sleeping, uh, the problems just go on and on. And so many of them talk about the number of years it took them to then seek healing and then the healing that they did find, like in Rachel's Vineyard. So I encourage you, <clears throat> go to, if you want, the main website is silentnomore.com. Uh, if you want to uh, read testimonies, go to abortiontestimony.com. And if you want to see where there's healing available, because this is, a, like we said, Abortion Recovery Awareness Month, go to abortionforgiveness.com. Just put in your zip code. It will show you where the nearest Rachel's Vineyard or other healing program is right near you. And you can be an ambassador of that healing message out there. So again, abortionforgiveness.com during Abortion Recovery Month. Let's just get the word out there. Now I'd like to also tell you something pretty exciting that has happened. Yes, I have written another book. As you know, I've written, uh, this is my third book. My first book was Recall Abortion. Second book was Shockwaves, The Wider Circle of Victims, which Georgette was talking about. This is my newest book called Everything You Need to Know About Abortion for Teens. Yes. And this book is available at our online store at prolifeproducts.org. I will personally autograph the book for you. And in this book, there's something really very un unusual. There are some photos in the middle of the book where I show you the un Meet the Unborn Child. And it's like the unborn child's baby album. And it has beautiful, beautiful pictures of the unborn child. But this book, it's great for teens, 
young adults, I would say anyone from seventh grade on, uh, this book is for, and even some adults, because I guarantee you, you're going to learn a lot about everything you need to know about abortion so that you'll never choose an abortion. You'll never suggest an abortion for a friend or family member. And you will see that abortion always bad for the baby, always bad for the mom and dad too. So go to prolifeproducts.org. I'd love to send you a copy personally autographed of everything you need to know about abortion for teens. Well, this is Janet Marana again. Thanks for joining me on Just This. Janet, until next time, remember, there are some abortions only you'll be able to stop and some lives only you'll be able to save. This has been the End Abortion Podcast. To learn more, to help end abortion, and to connect with us on social media, visit endabortion.net.